This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Saddle Hunters, our brothers over at Tethered, continue to kill the game by releasing innovative products. They just recently put out the Eberhardt Series Saddle. They also put out the Menace Saddle, which is for our, our Husky brothers and sisters that are into saddle hunting. That does that, that saddle will do just maybe a little bit better job of cupping your quote-unquote assets. But the thing that I'm most excited about is their recent release of the Tethered One Climbing Stick. Um, this thing is crazy light, crazy strong, and crazy quiet. I'm just going to cut to the chase here and give you some specs. Each stick weighs in at less than one pound. That includes your Dynalite rope attachment. Uh, a three-pack of these will weigh in at 2.7 pounds, which is ridiculously light. It's a 17-inch step-to-step uh, single stick uh, single stick height, and there's an 8.5-inch uh, step footbed, which gives you plenty of room for, for those of us folks with, with, with bigger feet. It's all made with aerospace-grade titanium and aluminum for construction. So if you'd like to learn more about Tether's innovative products, Head over to tetherednation.com and check them out. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. Skull Brew Coffee roasts premium single origin coffee guaranteed to deliver the freshest coffee directly to your doorstep. The kicker, they're 2% for conservation certified and donate 10% of their proceeds back to organizations who support the interests of our hunting community. So go to skullbrewcoffee.com and pick up one of their three killer roasts and fuel your hunt and fill more tags with Skull Brew Coffee. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you are listening to episode number 199. Today, we're talking learning curves and hitting the reset button with my buddy, Doug Rose. So stay tuned. All right, all right, all right. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. Hope some of you out there are filling some tags or at least having more success than me. Um, yesterday, you know, I'm going to keep this up front kind of short because I'm actually going to go out and scout today. Truthfully, I've been scouting way more than I've been hunting. Um, 
you know, this, this season, uh, my trail cameras, you know, I, I don't rely on them exclusively, but I kind of rely on them to tell me like where, what places are popping and what places might have some action. Um, you know, and then, and, and then hunt accordingly. Um, but this year it just seems like, you know, I've just haven't had, I've had good trail camera inventory and then things will just kind of disappear, um, for no rhyme or reason. I'm, and I'm sure there's a rhyme or a reason to it. Um, and the cool thing is, you know, or maybe even it's the frustrating thing is that a lot of these setups that I think are going to be good and are prime, um, you know, I'm not getting people on them. You know, they're, they're in these out of the way places that I just don't think people are going to be near. So it's like, I don't think these particular spots specifically are being influenced by significant pressure. I think some of the outside areas around these spots are, have significant pressure. I think I mentioned on the one podcast, or maybe it was an Instagram post, you know, there was 12 vehicles in the one pull-off spot that I was hunting when I came out one morning, um, you know, after I had a morning hunt. So there's definitely pressure. Um, but just no, I don't think there is necessarily in those spots that I'm specifically hunting and where in, in, in and around near where I have, um, fro- trail cameras. Cause I've just not seen human sign. I've just not seen people on, on the cameras, but yesterday kind of a crappy weather day, mid seventies, uh, not a great wind for me for most of the setups I, you know, would, would have wanted to hunt. Um, and so what my plan was is I was like, you know, I'm just going to go scout this one side of the mountain, uh, to try to find, hot sign and set up on it because there's a piece of the mountain that I've not scouted. Um, and I was just curious what was up there and I figured, you know, might as well use that day or, you know, a, a warm day or a less than great weather day and go try something new. Um, and so I, that's what I did. Uh, did probably close to six miles and, uh, just didn't even find a setup, uh, to be honest with you. I ended up not even hunting and, um, I ended up not even setting up. So I basically scouted until, until closing time and then, and, and then came back home. So the plan today is to really go out, move a few cameras around here since it's Sunday and there's no hunting. Um, and then scout this one particular area, um, a little more thoroughly. I scouted it this past winter, but I need to kind of make a pass through and see where they're starting to lay down, lay down sign because one of my cameras cell camera, uh, has told me now that I've had a few bucks start to hit a, a, a scrape, um, on this particular piece. And so I want to go see, you know, not just this spot. I know that they're hitting, but are there other places that I'm, you know, maybe overlooked whenever I scouted in the off season, um, or some, some of the areas where I know where I found sign, are they starting to lay down sign in those spots? So I kind of start to get a sense of, you know, what areas are starting to, starting to heat up. That way I can start to plan my hunts accordingly. Um, just because, you know, for me, I got, you know, whatever it is, three weeks maybe to try to get something done here. Um, limited days, uh, to do that before I leave for my, for my trip to, um, to the Midwest. So with that, we're going to go ahead and cut this up front short and just kind of jump into the podcast. I have a cool show today have my buddy Doug Rose on. Um, Doug is, uh, as I mentioned in the upfront of this or at the beginning of this podcast, you know, he's, he's kind of a new friend. We connected over, over the interwebs. Um, and he's a listener of the show. And so this is kind of like a hunting, a hunting profile. And he had, you know, an interesting kind of route into, into hunting and he had some, you know, life events. Um, and the reason I thought the story was cool is because he had some life events and things that occurred that required him to kind of take a step back and reevaluate things. And, kind of take the, you know, hit the proverbial reset button, not just in his hunting life, but just in life in general. And hunting was a significant part of that. So I thought it was a cool story, um, especially this time of year when we all kind of get jazzed up and, you know, maybe we start to, maybe our priorities start to get out of whack a little bit. You know, we're passionate about whitetail hunting, but, you know, sometimes we need to kind of take a step back and think about what things are actually really, really important and uh, remove the stress and just make sure that we're enjoying the 
the time that we get into the tim- uh, get into the timber. So with that, we'll go ahead and get this show kicked off. As always, I want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. Today, I am joined by a new friend. So this is a gentleman um, that actually, as many times I've run into folks now on social media, and as much as it can be the bane of my existence um, during certain times, especially as we get into election times and stuff like that, it's uh, I often want to just shut it off. But the good that it's brought to my life is that I get to run into folks like the gentleman I have on the line here with me to talk deer hunting, and you end up with a friend that you'll you're trading buck pictures with now and texting when you see things and texting whenever the weather's right or the moon's right or whatever, you know, and, and it's because of social media that brought, you know, you know, bring folks together that otherwise wouldn't have an opportunity to meet. And I'm joined by, as I mentioned, my new buddy, Mr. Doug Rose. How you doing, brother? How's it going? Good, Clint. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet, man. So, how's uh, how are things out in your neck of the woods, man? I know uh, we're getting ready to get cranked up for the season here. It's just I we I felt like just like a week or so ago we had like a little turn in the weather that started making me get a little excited, and then all of a sudden I got slapped in the face with like more heat and more humidity this week. Yeah, the heat and the humidity has been unreal. I mean, I'm a heavy equipment operator, so I'm outside, you know, twelve, fourteen hours a day, and the heat's been something else, and uh, the you know in the whitetail woods, the pictures have definitely showed that as well. So yeah, yep, no. I'm, I'm feeling you on that. Yeah, for sure, man. I'd say I had some cameras that were that were pretty active for a little while. I just went and did a card pool, and you know that snap of like just nasty hot weather we had, and I don't know what it was like. You know, late mid July, almost through like mid August, it felt like we just didn't get a break. Like it was just hot and humid every every stinking day. And the cameras definitely kind of told that story. And I've been trying to pay a little bit more attention to the moon recently and kind of had noticed that, you know, that dark period that has kind of occurred also kind of coincided to a degree with what you would consider to be bad moon days. And I'm not an expert at it by any means. This is really kind of the first year I'm paying more and more attention to it. Um, But that's at least what my buddies who follow the moon pretty religiously, um, have been telling me it's like, yeah, the, the moons are bad. You know, my cameras are dead too. Is that what you, is that? Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'm kind of right there with you as far as the moon goes. I mean, I've never really paid attention to it, especially prior to, you know, the season. Yeah. I haven't really, you know, gotten into the, the moon phase quite early. Um, but this year actually having some time, fortunately, you know, to go out in the evenings and scout, I have kind of, you know, started to pay attention to it a little bit and i'm with you i think i think that there's definitely something to be said about that yeah because we've we've seen we've seen proof in the bean fields that's yeah. for sure yeah and that's the thing that you know i never really thought much about and truth be told it's like i really never had you know especially growing up there wasn't a lot of opportunity you know i don't recall a lot of bean fields being around cornfields yes but you know those are kind of hard to glass maybe some alfalfa fields and stuff like that um but it was more shining than it was glass and growing up with the the hunting sure. culture that I grew up in and stuff like that. Um, so it's like, you know, I know a lot of my buddies, like they, they will prioritize kind of their glassing evenings around moon days and stuff like that. Like, you yeah, know, especially well, on the back, sense. yeah, especially on the backside of like a full moon, like they'll definitely be out glassing those days more so than they would be, you know, on other, on other days, so to speak. But, uh, but with yeah, that, and even what these guys are talking about with like the red moon. Yeah, right? like you, you know, you start to hear about the red moon now. Yeah. Um, and you know that's a, a local guy uh, to me, Adam Hayes. Ohio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I've I've had good conversations with that man, and you know, I, I never really, 
we'll kind of get into my story, I guess. But, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the process of him, you know, buying the Moon Guide and taking over that company and really pushing that, I haven't really been, you know, in the industry, if you will. Right. I haven't really been around it. So it's kind of new to me um, and kind of heard about it through some, you know, podcast stuff. But, right. but yeah, I think there's definitely some truth to it and something that, you know, will help people to you know, find success, whether it's glassing or hunting. Yeah. Sure. And yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's plenty of guys out there that kind of live and die by it. And those dudes I know have plenty of deer on their wall to show for Adam being one yeah. of them, you know, he's got several 200 inch deer to his, to his credit. And he, right. he follows that thing to a T I truthfully tried to follow it for probably like two years, I think. And I've mentioned this in the past and I, I had it work out for me one time where it was like, to a T like, you know, to within the half hour window, like I saw movement whenever it said it was going to, I was going to see movement. But I just think in some instances, some of that, um, I think some of it is circumstantial in terms of where you hunt and what type of property you're hunting and the quality of property that you're hunting, like with pressure and all those things. I think if you have, you know, a scenario set up where you have, um, you know, super low pressure and, you know, in, in, in the, the habitats, right. And stuff like that, I, I don't, what studies will tell you is that the deer don't necessarily move any more or less on certain moons. But what those collared deer studies are, are telling you is that they're not moving any like more significant distance. Right. I think is what, it, what, what they're saying. But the reality is, as a deer hunter, I don't need them to move like an extra mile or 500 yards. Like I literally just need them to get up out of their bed 30 minutes before they usually would. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like sure. it's, it's like, that's really yep. all you're needing is that small window of opportunity. So I'm going to pay I'm going to pay more attention to it this year. Um, and actually it, it just seems like some of my hunts for out of state this year are actually going to time up to where I'm going to be hitting like that, the good moon time, like, you know, a couple of days leading awesome. into, and then a couple of days after the full moon. So, um, fingers crossed we, that I have some luck. Any advantage we can get, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, man. We need, we need as many as we can get, <laughs> but, right. but with that, man, I always like to kind of kick things off, man. I know you kind of mentioned, you know, you, you're a heavy equipment operator. So if you wouldn't mind for the folks yeah. out there listening, just give a little bit of background on yourself, you know, where you're from, what you do for a living. Yeah. Well, again, I, you know, Clint, I'm, I'm super excited to be able to share my story. I'm thankful to be here. Um, I definitely feel privileged. So thank you. Um, you know, I'm just an average guy from Ohio, you know, family man. Um, I'm, I'm actually one of four boys. So like growing up, it was always like super, you know, ultra competitive with, you know, every sport that the school had to offer, you know, also, you know, I raced motorcycles from a young age and, you know, that kind of was my number one passion growing up, you know, dad, he would take us out hunting. I know this is a hunting podcast, but you know, he would take us out, you know, rabbit hunting, squirrel hunting, we would shoot trap, but I never really deer hunted until I got back home from college. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it, I'm going into my 15th year of, of, of deer hunting. And I would say my second year of mature buck hunting, mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty big difference. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, just growing up, just constantly looking for that next adrenaline dump. I mean, really, right. that's kind of how I veered everything in my life. Um, passion driven, you know, working in the motorcycle industry and the power sports industry. Um, you know, again, not, not really being a deer hunter as a kid, but really hot and heavy into motorcycles. Um, you know, and, and working in the power sports industry, I ended up finding myself at, you know, that outdoor shows, 
you know, in Ohio and other states and, you know, <laughs> meeting some of these top tier professionals, if you will, within the hunting community. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of, you know, I started to get some interest in it and that kind of developed into, you know, one on deer drives with the local farmers and friends. I grew up on a small farm and, you know, just kind of got the bug. Right. And really what it comes down to for me, as far as when I started was, it was a way for me to satisfy my, my adrenaline, you know, fix, but it was kind of hard because, you know, when you're just driving deer with the friends and the family, you know, that's one week out of the year, right? you know, so yeah, come back from college and, you know, still riding and racing and road racing, and you know, kind of, well, I mean, as you can probably imagine, you know, the, the, just the nature of the sport <laughs> injuries, pile up. injuries. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I literally, man, you know, I had a one-year-old, my, my daughter was one at the time and, you know, I'm laid up on the couch, not working and, you know, with my guts blown up and, you know, <laughs> just got out of ICU and she's, you know, crawling over and, you know, pulling herself up on the couch, looking at me like, what are you doing here? Right. And I was like, all right, I got to start finding something that, you know, is a little safer. Right. I mean, and I'm, and I'm talking, I was looking, I was looking for it. Yeah. I mean, I was flying airplanes. I was, you know, I picked up the guitar, you know, I thought, well, if I can get on stage and, and play some gigs, I'll get my, you know, my adrenaline fixed that way. And, uh, demolition derby cars, you know, you name it, just anything I could throw myself into, you know, that I could afford financially, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was just, I was constantly chasing it. Yeah. And once again, you know, come fall, I'd go right back into the deer hunting. Yeah. And that's just, it's kind of where I found it to be my, my thing. And I love it, you know, more than any other hobby. It's kind of all I do now. And yeah, yeah. so that's, yeah. that's kind of how I got started into deer hunting. Nice. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it, it's not, and this is funny because I mean, you and I talked whatever it was, you know, a month or month and a half ago or something like that when we yeah. first connected and it's, it's, and it's interesting because similar story for me. And I've told this on the show. It's like, I was a musician, you know, for a long time and that was kind of what I did. Mm-hmm. And I grew up hunting, you know, we, and we deer hunted, but we didn't really bow hunt. My dad would do some, you know, still hunting with a, with a recurve from time to time, but it, he wouldn't take me on those hunts necessarily. That would be a windy day in the fall. It was more opportunity. He would get like a good weather day with like wind or rain and cause he liked the stock, you know? And so, cause we never yeah. hunted out of tree stands or anything, you know, elevated, when I was a kid, I always ground hunted or still hunted, you know, with, with a gun. And he enjoyed going out and doing that on certain days that, you know, I guess were the best opportunities to do that type of hunting in this, in this area. And so it was mainly like you were saying, a lot of gun hunting, you know, we didn't do so many drives, but it was, you know, the normal Pennsylvania orange army gun hunting. It was great deer camp, sure. you know, had, had a great yeah. time. It was fun. Oh, the camaraderie, man. It was, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's so it's like, I got to spend a lot it. of, yeah, I got to spend a lot of time with my uncles and stuff like that. And it was cool. Um, you know, and then I kind of, you know, as at a young age, I fell into music and fell in love with it. And, you know, that became my thing and I would still hunt and stuff like that, but it was more of like a family outing. Like you were saying, you know, I'd go spend some time with my relatives and, and, and do that. And I spent a lot of time on stages and stuff like that. And then whenever I left music, very similar to you, it's like, I was looking for 
I won't say an identity because <clears throat> I, I, I knew the, the cautionary tale of identifying yourself like as a musician as that being all that I was. And that was the thing that I was not wanting to be identified as anymore. Like I wanted to be a husband. I wanted to yep. be a, a father. Like I wanted to be those things before I was anything else. And music was always the thing that identified me to most everyone that knew me. And sure. But I was still looking for that thing that I could lose myself in that was uh, personal, you know. And so when I moved back to Pennsylvania, an old buddy of my uh, father-in-law's introduced me to bow hunting. We were doing some turkey hunting together and we were doing some gun hunting together. And he introduced me to bow hunting and like, and that was it. Kind of like you, man. It was like once I found it, it was like, it, it just, I became ate up with it. And it became really personal, um, you know, uh, therapeutic in, in many ways. Um, but also that adrenaline that you get on stage in front of 5,000 people. It's like, it's the only thing I've ever found that gives me that when you watch a big buck kind of rolling in on you, you know what I mean? It's the same feeling, right. you know, which is, which yeah. is crazy. So, so when you got into deer hunting, man, like when you got in like full tilt bow hunting, like what was that introduction like and how did that kind of happen? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it kind of goes back to uh, kind of how I'm wired. You know, when it comes to anything I do, I kind of go, you know, balls out. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I don't really hold anything back. And, um, I, a lot of people have commented saying that it's actually a fault, but, you know, I, I tend to break everything down to like the molecular level, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And yep. just really have to get super scientific with everything I do. And it's just, it's just how I am, you know? So I, I talked about, you know, the adrenaline part. So now, you know, with, with deer hunting, you can translate the adrenaline from everything else I've done to, you know, now you can introduce the, you know, the, 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 the thought process, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, the mind game, right. trying to figure out, you know, a mature deer. And then, you know, not only that, but you introduce the competitiveness that I have of trying to be the guy that kills the biggest buck. You know I mean? Everybody right. wants to be that guy. I don't care who you are. Right. Um, but when I, when I first started, you know, my first two years, I was just gun hunting. That was it. Mm -hmm. Uh, second, you know, the third year, um, <laughs> guy, I gave a guy some cash. He went to the coon dog trials, picked up a crossbow for me. So, you know, an old used Horton crossbow. And, uh, that third year I went out, set some stands and I mean, just had experiences that I never knew was even possible. Right. You know, seeing deer in their natural environment, not being chased across the field. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when I, when I started doing that, I was like, okay, this is where it's at. Like, this is what everybody gets geeked out about. Now I know. Right. So it's like, okay, now I need a compound. So literally, um, you know, my fourth season, I'm hunting with a compound bow, my first season ever, and a customer of mine um, for quite a, quite a few years came into me one day and uh, you know, I did some work on his generator and I worked on his motorcycles and he's like, Hey man, he's like, I'm, you know, part of a club, which I mean, that's literally what it was. I mean, he had to pay dues and everything. And he's like, you know, we're, we're filming our deer hunts. We're one big buck away from being the next, you know, TV show. I'm like, really? Like, okay, I'm in, you know, pay my dues and get going there. So, I mean, literally like the third year, or, you know, the, the fourth season, I'd only had three years under my belt and only one in the woods with a, a quote unquote bow, you know, my fourth year, I'm out there filming, 
you know, hunting with a compound for the first time. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to share this with, you know, your audiences, you know, it seems like, you know, as human beings, we tend to be a product of our environment, you know, and with social media coming on full tilt and, you know, just constantly, you know, everybody looking at what everybody else is doing. I just, I really got wrapped up into the filming and I want to be, you know, a professional hunter and I want to be a paid, you know, TV star. And, you know, <laughs> that's literally the fourth year. So All right. when you ask about how I started bow hunting, I, I wanted to say that because it was a shaky start. I mean, it, I was a part of a group of like 15 guys and they were pulling me all different directions. Didn't know what was going on. And I'm just trying to learn, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just, I'm like, man, I, I just need to learn how to deer hunt first before I, I, I deal with all this stuff. But nonetheless, um, my introduction to the bow hunting whitetails was a pretty crazy one. Mm-hmm. I mean, here as a newbie, you know, out there with a video camera and, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for that. It's, it's developed me into, you know, kind of where I'm at now. Um, and, and, and stuff like that. But yeah, man, it was, it was yeah. pretty nuts. Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing is, and you and I talked about this too, you know, off offline when we were, when we were, we were connected and just, and just kind of chatting. And the whole idea that, you know, you're a product of your environment is, is, is so true, you know, and it's easy to get, wrapped up into things. And I've even talked about it with this, this show, you know, and I've talked about it, you know, at somewhat at length, with my buddy Chad and stuff like that, because there was a time, you know, when I was maybe first starting this or whatever. And, um, you know, had a sense of like pressure that I needed to do certain things or accomplish certain things right. to legitimize right. myself or whatever. Um, you know, and it was really hurtful to be honest. And it, to be truthful, it was one of the biggest things that probably stunted my growth, like stunted my learning curve. Right. Because, yeah. um, I was more, I was thinking about it didn't, it didn't affect my hunts as far as like um, how I would try to like, you know, break things down or, or whatever. Um, I think it hurt me in the sense that when I was in the woods on a hunt, I would be, I wouldn't be focused. You know, I think is, is, is what it, what it came down to. Um, Because as soon as I, you know, I had like a moment where I was chasing this one particular deer and like he gave me the slip and I was getting mad and I was trying to film it and it was back home on our family farm. And, and that was when I kind of just threw my hands in the air and was like, you know what? I'm tired. Like I'm either going to stop doing the podcast, <laughs> you know, or I'm going <laughs> to stop like putting pressure on myself to do something that I think other people are expecting me to do, you know, and I'm just going right. to hunt for me and I'm going to kill what I want to kill and I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And, and that was really when I decided like that I was pretty much only going to exclusively hunt public land at that point, you know, because I was like, I was tired of driving three hours because I had a better opportunity to kind of pattern those deer. Um, and the Mm -hmm. travel was just driving me crazy. And like, I'm a normal dude with a normal job and a family and stuff like that. And it's like, you tack three hours of driving each way on to, to get to a property, you know, to do it consistently is just, it's hard, you know? And so I just decided I was going to start hunting around my house and I was going to shoot whatever deer that these lands were going to provide me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I wasn't going to look for, you know, if I wasn't going to look for things that weren't available. So it's, you know, so that was kind of like the moral of my story. As soon as I did that, like, man, like the learning curve, like accelerated, you know, because I was now being focused when I was in the woods and I was paying attention to the small details and I was clearly just hunting for me now and no, and nothing and nobody else. 
you know, and it's, and I think everybody kind of goes through that that ends up like doing some type of media thing to a degree. You know what I mean? Like, right. you know, all the, the buddies that I've talked to, like even I had uh, my buddy, you know, Kurt on from Working Class Bowhunter and we talked about it a little bit and he talked a little bit about his evolution from when he first started and like thought he had to be a certain way and then realized, screw this, man, I'm going to be me. You know, and that, and people yeah, are either going to like, yeah, yeah, people are going either going to like it or they're not going to like it. But it's, I'm I'm going to like myself, you know, right? And, and that always kind of, and like you can go to music, you can go to like professional athletes. Like it's as soon as you find that value and who you are, man, the sky's the limit at that point. You know what I mean? Like it's just right. like your trajectory just kind of takes off at at that point. So when you talk about that product of your environment, man, like you know, what was that experience like? Like, you know, cause I know you and I, when we talked offline, it was, you know, it was, um, you had a pretty big change in life in general that kind of occurred almost simultaneously, oh, yeah. you know? So like talk, <laughs> talk, talk, talk a little bit about that, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, basically when this all kind of started for me, you know, my fourth year in, I had, you know, I'd killed two, uh, bucks that I guess would be, I mean, just, you know, awesome to me, but mediocre to some, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't, don't really, I don't, I don't really like to talk about numbers, mm -hmm. you know, but I'd say they would barely be the lowest of, of a book deer. Right. Um, but you know, so here I am my fourth year in, you know, things are, are actually progressing with the video production side of things. Things are kind of shaping up and I mean, things are really just starting to snowball and you know, I'm starting to rub elbows. Well, I ended up branching away from that, that original, you know, club that I was, I was talking about. And, you know, one of my really good friends and I, we kind of went off on our own and, you know, things were really starting to snowball. And then, you know, pretty much as life would have it, right as things were really getting serious to the point where we could, you know, make a run at something. Um, yeah, I mean, that's when life hit. And, you know, I know a lot of people can relate to that and, it's just, it's just kind of how it worked out for me. And, you know, I went through a really nasty divorce. I met my soulmate, you know, pretty much simultaneously that I ended up marrying. And um, Kate is my world. I love her to death. I had a complete career change. I went from the power sports industry to being, you know, a, a CDL, you know, truck driver and, and then into heavy equipment. Um, I started my own business at the same time, which flopped. Um, I mean, pretty much sky's the limit. I mean, it was just everything all at once. I mean, I literally went through, you know, that, that, that next three years, I mean, it was, it was rough, mm -hmm. you know, it was, it was rough. I mean, I was selling all my hunting equipment, my cameras, my bows, my guns, all my guitars. I mean, I was selling, I was selling everything I had just to put hot dogs in the fridge mm -hmm. and that's no joke. I mean, it was, it was nuts. Um, but you know, in that time, it literally forced me to hit the reset button. I mean, I literally couldn't afford the outdoor channel, you know, so I couldn't even watch the hunting shows and what was going on, you know, in that three year time frame. I mean, social media to me was just, it was, it was brutal. Mm -hmm. So I just, I, I completely shut down all of my social media I had no outside influence on the hunting industry. Um, and, and obviously it was just, I was focused on family. I was focused on my career and, and my new relationship. And, you know, it was just, it was nuts. And it, it literally forced me to tune out, you know, all of the, 
the garbage. And when I finally got, you know, the opportunity, uh, and I'd say two years ago, to, you know, actually get back into back into the tree. Um, I'm not a saddle hunter yet, so I right. can't say back in the saddle. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking about it really we'll, hard. We'll get really you there. Hard. We'll get you there. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, I finally got back into it. And, you know, again, being a heavy equipment operator, man, I spend like 12, 14-hour days in the machine by myself. You know, the, the radio was getting old. I was tired of listening to the same, you know, classic rock and country music songs. And I was like, you know... It, my brother-in-law has talked about podcasts. I really want to see what this stuff's all about. I flipped on YouTube and just started consuming content. I mean, that's, and, and, and in doing that, I was trying to learn, you know, kind of what people are talking about now, you know, and, and trying to pick apart and dissect certain hunting situations I've been in and properties that I have, properties that I've had. And just trying to figure out, you know, more of the methodical approach to how I'm going to address, you know, deer hunting. Right. So, so you know, that's kind of what got me started with the the podcast thing, got me back into, you know, I guess social media. Right. So so what uh so how do you think like all those changes? I mean, I, I think that, you know, what you went through, like aside from like the the filming stuff and things like that, I think is, you know, what you went through is very relatable because you know, life happens to people and it kind of knocks them down or whatever. And you can take that analogy to deer hunting, right? It's like you could be hunting and you could be having some success. And then all of a sudden knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The well could dry up for whatever reason, right? Or you could be on a hunt and you're struggling or whatever, and it's that it's that knockdown and you have to find something like within you that's worth kind of going and, and going after or and, get, and getting after it. You know what I mean? Right. Which is what you kind of did in many ways, right? It was like a whole a wholesale reset of finding finding your why <laughs> to a degree right, right. and it how was do, the reset of everything yeah it's how do you think you know on the hunting side of things how do you think that kind of like stark reality changed your approach and mentality to hunting like i guess two-part question like did, oh, it, cha- did it change your approach and mentality and it's huge man and did it, it become and did it become more important to you at the same time Absolutely. You know, when I, I, I told you when I started off, it was all about that next adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just out there, you know, hey, I'm going to be able to feed my family. I'm going to be able to have a great time. And when that deer's coming in, I'm going to be shaking like a leaf. I'm going to feel like I was, you know, not just 20 feet up, jumping 130 feet, you know. And and that that is why I started. Well, it's completely different now. Right. You know, and it, it's really hard to explain, but... You know, the reason why I brought up the environment that I that I put myself in, I, I definitely put myself in the environment to be amongst, you know, these other guys and in my approach to hunting. I mean, you know, my my fourth year, I bought my first mobile set. Mm-hmm. I spent a lot of money. You know, I, I had 
the, the newest, latest, and greatest mobile set, and those guys are telling me, dude, you know, you can't do that. You know, you can't go in there and hunt. You know, you can't do this. You can't do that. It, you're not going to ever kill a big buck. You have tons of big bucks in, on your farms. We've seen the pictures. But you're not going to kill them unless you're hunting over a corn pile. Right. And it's like, okay, so, like, I immediately adopted. I got away from what I had started to, you know, your natural inclination, into. right. Your natural inclination right. is like, I'm going to go find deer and, and hunt them. And these guys right. who you're looking at going, they've been doing this longer than me. And they're telling me, Hey, go sit on this corn and pile. They, they you kill know? big bucks. Yeah. You know? And, and, and I guess it, that's why I say it is huge and, and getting away from that environment and that outside influence on what everybody thinks is the way to kill a deer, mm-hmm. a, a big mature buck you know, to literally going down to the brass tacks, the bones and, and okay, how do I want to approach this? And, you know, YouTube does auto, you know, auto play certain videos. And mm-hmm. I started hearing this, this Clint Campbell guy. And I'm like, you know, all right. He sounds like a pretty cool guy. And I look at it. Well, and he's like, the coolest from man. The <laughs> Truth Just... from the stand. Like, Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to listen to this because I want to see if this guy is actually going to tell the truth. And, and lo and behold, I mean, pretty much every single situation, I, I'm not a Western guy, mm-hmm. so I can't really relate to the Western hunting, but pretty much every whitetail situation with the guests that you have had on your show, I could immediately relate to, mm-hmm. immediately. Yeah. And, and in doing that, I'm like, okay, like it's time to completely reset I'm, I have nothing against corn pile hunting, yeah. but that's not the way I want to do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, I do have certain property that I feel that if I do not bait, that we have no chance because right. everyone around there does, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but, but being, being the corn pile killer is not who I wanted to be. So, you know, in, in my crazy, you know, three year reset, it was about, trying to figure out why I'm seeing giants world-class deer, but I'm never able to, to seal the deal. You know, at, at this point, you know, this is two years ago. You know, I have, I have three deer on my wall and I have passed probably three times that amount yep. that were all bigger than the three deer I have on my wall because of either camera light or pre-roll footage or, you know, uh, natural causes, you know, dogs running deer through the woods or whatever. But I mean, you name it. I've had all these different situations that have put me in the stand where I'm at, you know, two years ago thinking, why is this not happening for me? Why, why is it that I'm not, I'm not hunting over corn, but I'm watching all of these deer from a long ways away. Mm-hmm. And I'm, it's like, I'm sitting in there thinking it's night to night. And I was tired of that. I was right. sick and tired of that. It was like, okay, it's time to do some research, listen to podcasts while I'm working, you know, do some research when I get home, try to figure out why is that the case? Why, why am I not able to seal the deal? Right. You know, yeah. that's, that's kind of where, that reset button was, was, you know, I was just I was literally sick and tired of watching giants from afar. Right. You know? 
I mean, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier, like, look, you know, if people, you know, hunt over, want to hunt over corn, as you said, it's like more power to them, man. If that's the way you like to hunt, like, I I don't begrudge anyone to hunt with a a weapon, yeah, a a legal weapon or a legal, you know, method of take or whatever the case is. Like, yeah, I'm all, I'm all for it. It just doesn't, it just doesn't, yeah, as long as it's legal, it's like, it just doesn't appeal to me. Like there's a property that I had hunted like the past two years that was part of like a conservancy, which is part of really like the, you know, the suburb area that I live in. It was part of like a a doe management kind of group or whatever unit. Right. And they would allow so many guys and they would give you each like a parcel to hunt somewhere. And in those places, like you were hundred percent allowed to run bait feeders, mineral stations, whatever, and hunt over them if you wanted to. I never did for a multitude of reasons. One, I just didn't think it was going to work. Two, I just didn't want to lug extra stuff into the timber. You know what I mean? It was like, I prefer to do it. I prefer to do it with, without, but I know there are plenty of guys. Not in that, to mention the money. Yeah. And, and plenty it's of guys in that group, yeah. you know, pref- like to hunt that way. And that's, and that, and that's fine. But like, to me, it's always been about the, um, about the process. And like, the, I think in that, the, my next question, I'm going to, I'm going to get to it here in a second, but it's like, for me, it was always, once I had my reset and kind of, did a self-evaluation of like what was important to me and, and like ultimately it's like, what do I want to get out of this? Like, what am I in this for? Like I'm in it for a multitude of reasons. Right. But like the hunt part of it, what am I in it for? And that, what I realized was, was the process and the challenge. Like it was the, the idea of, of being trying to strategically either manipulate a situation or strategically put myself in a position to where I'm going to have an opportunity that I'm only using, you know, what, what God gave both the deer and I (laughs) for lack of a better way to put it, you know what I mean? And it's it's that like primal, it's just like that primal feeling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was, and that for me was like, whenever the light kind of switched for me and was like, all right, this is the approach that I need to, this is the thing. These are the things I need to kind of investigate to try to get to the next level, to be able to be, a predator because that's kind of how I viewed it. I needed yeah. to, I needed to go from like hunting, you know, as a, like, I like to bow hunt to I'm now a predator. When I walk into the woods, I'm like a coyote. I'm like a wolf. I'm going to hunt for opportunity. I'm going to hunt down what I want to, what I want to kill. And I'm going to try to make, try to make it happen. So I'm curious for you, you know, what was that appeal to change the way you were hunting? Like, I know you were mentioning, like you were watching these bucks and you were just kind of like outside the, the frustration. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the, the just, range of killing. I mean, it was mostly, yeah, it was mostly out of frustration. Yeah, you know, I, I, I literally, Clint, I had my my blinders on for so long, just focused on everything that these other guys were telling me to do, and it just it wasn't working for me. Mm-hmm. You know, and and then it literally got to the point where it's like, okay, I mean, even from my entries and my exits, I mean, I was screwing up everything. <laughs> I mean, everything. And I yeah. had no clue. Right. I had no idea why. You know, I'm getting pictures of this. You know of this Boone and Crockett class whitetail three nights in a row. Mm-hmm. And then I'm in there and he's not there. I, I couldn't, I could, I literally could not see through the fog. Right. So what until inf- I listened to your podcast? Right. So I was literally. going to ask you, so what information was it that started to kind of like click for you when you were like, Oh, this is, this is what's happening or the, Oh, Oh, this is oh. where I messed this up. Like what were the couple like, you know, like key moments where you're like, man, this is definitely where I'm screwing this up. Uh, it honestly, it's really hard to say like 
seriously, there's so many. <laughs> and, and I say that as a humble man, you know, it's like I'm standing here with my pants down. I right. mean, I, I will flat out admit I have screwed up for years and years. And I mean, just by the grace of God, your podcast came across my YouTube channel. And one of the, I guess one that I could, I could kind of not specifically, um, tell you about was, you know, John Eberhardt, mm-hmm. uh, a podcast that you did with him. And he was talking about a hunt when it was, I think it was in Ohio, um, where he showed up and hunted this farm that other guys kept getting busted on and they, they couldn't get it done. He walked in there and I think within a matter of a day or two, he had a giant on the ground yep. and he was talking about his approach, you know, to the stand or to the tree he wanted to be in. Um, I guess I don't mean to insult John. He's not a stand hunter. Right. <laughs> um, but to the tree he's trying to be in and, you know, his approach and how he did it, knowing where the deer would be bedded and not only that, but which direction they would be facing, you know, because of the wind. I mean, it, it all just kind of made sense. And I, and I was able to relate that to many properties that I hunt. Mm-hmm. And I mean, from multiple other guests that you've had on your show and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't really think off the top of my head specific yeah. examples, but I, I do know that, that that John Eberhardt's hunt, I believe it was in Ohio, um, where he walked down. I think he went in the middle of the field instead yeah. of a long tree line. You remember what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I, I remember the exact hunt that you're, that you're talking about. There, there was a, I think it was even late season that he did it because they really didn't think he was going to be able to get it done because I think it was even after shotgun season. And he yeah, asked I think them, it was. It was yeah, knowing. Yeah, and so what it basically was was they were all entering through the timber, and they were trying to hunt these evening hunts along this field edge where these deer were coming out, and the deer was never coming out. And what he realized was as well, they're coming in through the timber. They're walking through all the best bedding, alerting everything in the world that you know they're coming yeah. through there. And so he ended up coming through. And John doesn't care about the wind. That's like the one difference I think one place where I differ from him in terms of like, I've learned a lot from John and I've taken a lot from the way John hunts, but that's the one thing where I do differ is like, I do play the wind where John, you know, believes in his scent lock and, and and won't worry so much about the wind, but he was accessing through the field because there's aren't going to like the deer aren't going to be in the field that time of day. And so he was accessing through the field to his tree, knowing that now he hasn't blown anything out. Everything now has the opportunity to filter out the way it should. And it did. And he ended up putting the slob on the ground. And it was just, you know, it's, and I think it's interesting whenever you say it's not any one thing, because I think that's really important for people to kind of like think about and, you know, and, and remember whenever they listen to, you know, guys talk about hunts, whether you're listening to John or, you know, or you're listening to Enfold or Adam Hayes or, you know, to Quistos or whoever it is, like they're giving you like principles and ideas that they've used yeah. and that they've seen work. And then you know, as the listener, I mean, that's literally what I've done as a listener, yeah. as, as a consumer of content is I've taken little nuggets from all of those guys that you just mentioned. That's just it. And, and you I've have created my own, my own way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you have to look at it based on like the properties you're hunting and how that might adapt. Because a lot of times like the, the, the underlying principles that they're explaining are foundational and rock solid. But they're telling you a story and how they've used it that is very specific to like how they hunted that specific hunt. Very situational, you know. Yes, right. And 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 what what they're not intending you to do is say, "I'm going to go out and try it exactly like this." What they're really saying to you is, "Is these are the things that I thought about. This was the ultimate plan that I came up with to use that strategy, 
you need to mm-hmm. kind of think about that those principles and think of it in context to your hunt, what the wind is going to do, what the terrain is, what your access is, and then use that principle to figure out if that is actually going to work for that particular situation, right? Because it's not right. a one size fits all. And I think that's where a lot of people fall into a trap because it's, they'll be like, you know, well, I tried a bump and dump, you know, and it didn't work. And it's like, well, you know, did the, was the, was the deer ever going to come back to that bed? Right. Did you bump him, you know, off of his bed in the evening and have the same wind for the morning and come back and hunt that and have the right wind for, to hunt that same spot? Like, so well, and I think another big part of that is, it was that the third time that that deer has been bumped this week. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Because so he's not necessarily the only hunter on that property. And, and that, that, you know, that, that's another kind of thing that, you know, talking about, you know, getting to, you know, the deer like last year and, and my hunt from last year, that's, uh, that's a big part of it, man. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can be the best deer hunter in the world, but if everybody else around you is screwing it up, I mean, I, I, I've kind of learned that firsthand. I mean, not, not that I'm the best deer hunter in the world. I don't mean it like that. But what I mean is when I'm trying to do everything right mm-hmm. and I, I'm doing my absolute best to do everything by every example that I've learned from, I mean, it doesn't matter much when you're hunting a, you know, a 15 acre property and it's surrounded by guys that are out there you know, smoking cigarettes and right. walking through the woods. Yeah. I know? mean, it, it, yeah, it definitely becomes 3d chess to a degree when you start to add, you know, that in, you know, with, you know, pressure and stuff like that and where other yeah, guys it are just, going to it be. It depends and, on your situation. Yeah. Cause then at that point you kind of still have to start, you know, hunting, not only hunting the deer, but hunting the people at the same time, you know, and that's the one Absolutely. thing on this, that's the one thing on this new piece that I, you know, um, I think I mentioned it in passing in like an earlier podcast, but I found a, a really sizable deer for, for, for PA on this one particular piece. Um, and I've kind of figured out where he, where he's at. And, um, you know, when I've done my scouting through these particular areas, like I have found a little bit of human sign here and there, not particularly where I need to be to, I think to, to try to kill this deer. Um, but, but close enough, you know what I mean? But the good news is, is that, you know, a lot of these, you know, this sign, or if I find a stand or whatever, it's like, they're all, lock-ons you know and or ladders and they're not moving you know what i mean so i know precisely right. where those people are going to be and so it's like you almost yeah. have to start hunting like the pressure so you have to think about well how's that guy going to access if he comes if we happen to hunt the same day right and i'm 200 right. yards from him like how's he what's the most logical way for him to come in and what's that going yeah, to do see, to the deer movement I, I don't know about you but that was an evolution for me mm-hmm. because yeah. i mean even when i would acquire a new property i would see an old stand Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, this must be a good spot. <laughs> I would set up there. Right. I mean, I've, I, I've literally been in a situation, and a friend of mine, if he hears this, he's going to laugh. But, I mean, we went out, we set up this property, and another guy set up his stand, not even five feet <laughs> from ours. Not right. even five feet. After we had done it. You know, we were in set. He had permission to hunt the property as well. But, you know, it... it until you understand all of these things that all of your guests and you have been talking about with the platform that you've created in your podcast, until people hear how it really works, you know, I think it has to be something that, you know, you evolve into because mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was the opposite of what you just explained. I was the opposite of that. Yeah. Well, I would go, I would go to like, Oh, well, this, you know, there's three stands here. This must be a good pinch point. Right, and I would hang in there and be like, 
you know, why am I not killing? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone, you know, at some point, you know, goes through that evolution at different at, at different right. times, right? And it's like, look, I'm I'm certainly not the first guy to talk about it. There's plenty of folks out there that have been doing that a lot longer than than me. You know, you know, see, you know, Dan Enfold or, you know, any any guys have been hunting, you know, public or pressured property. Even I mean, private property in Pennsylvania is is pressured. You know, like the family farms I grew up hunting. I mean, you were hunting you were hunting other hunters at the same time, you know, no matter what parcel you had, because no one had much more than a hundred to maybe 200 acre piece and everyone and their brother hunted. And most of the time your family, other family members were hunting that property with you, you know? And so it's, you were constantly dealing with, with, with pressure. But I think that that's the one, one thing I think we're all guilty of kind of like doing that. Cause I know me kind of early on, you know, I would use like finding those like old, those stands as like, almost like markers, right? Cause they oftentimes were in pretty obvious places. Right. And I kind of always refer to those as like your primary, like terrain or habitat features, right? It's like, those are the most obvious right. places on the map. So it's like, if you're in like the big woods or something like that, where you've got a lot of terrain, a lot of topo elevation changes, it's like, man, as any easy to get to any easy to access saddle, I can promise you there's going to be a scrape in it. And I can promise you there's going to be someone hunting. You know, because it's easy to get to, and it's a really right. obvious terrain feature that's going to pinch deer and it's going to funnel deer. What caliber, I don't know, but it, if you hang a camera there, you're going right. to get inventory and you'll see deer. And so but then see, until, until I consumed, you know, the content that you put out there, I wouldn't realize that that's great. It's going to be in that saddle. It's good, fresh sun, but it's only happening at night. It's only, yeah, exactly. And so it, <laughs> it, yeah, and it's all, you know, it becomes about contextualizing what you're seeing. Right. And understanding right. what it's telling you, because it's all valuable, but it all has right. different value. You know what I mean? Just like every every dollar you have in your pocket, every paper bill you have in your pocket has value, but they all have different value. It's the same thing right. with sign based on where it's laid down, the time of year it's laid down, what potential terrain feature or habitat it's being laid in, you know, and, and things like that all kind of give it a different score, if you will. You know, and that's, right. you know, understanding like, you know, the ease of access and things like that. It's like that all just comes with making the mistakes, you know what I mean? And, and setting up at the wrong spot and having a guy walk in on you because you're really close to an obvious area or whatever, you know, um, it's happened to me plenty of times. It still happens to me, you know, like I'll find a spot where I'm like, man, this is too obvious. <laughs> like I'll think myself, right. I'm like, this is too right. obvious. Like people will overlook this cause it's too close, you know what I mean? But, um, right. but yeah, man, but let's, let's jump into the story about the deer you, you killed last year, man. Cause so he was, he was a hammer and, uh, I just kind of want you to walk me through the hunt. Like, you know, when it started, did you know about him for a few years? Just kind of walk me in, walk me through it from like soup to nuts. Well, um, I guess the best place to start is this is the first year I've ever hunted this property. Mm-hmm. It was a brand new property. Um, my wife is actually phenomenal at acquiring hunting properties. Great partner to um, have. <laughs> yeah. I mean, her and I work extremely well together, but she's, she's, you know, she does a lot of customer relations with her job and Hey, she's very good on the phone and she, she knocks them down. Mm-hmm. So this, this property we actually had the year prior, but we never messed with it because the landowner said we had to earn our keep. Mm-hmm. And we, it wasn't a matter of not wanting to, it was a matter of, we didn't have the time to. Right. So last year, um, you know, she's like, Hey, you know, do you want to go and, and check this property out? I'm like, sure. Lo and behold, I, I actually had hunted close to that property in the past. So I knew the caliber of genetics and deer that were in the area. And I was like, 
heck yeah, let's, let's go. You know, we ended up, I think in the hottest day of July year before last or no last year, um, we probably moved 30 tons of cow manure with <laughs> the old traditional pitchforks. Right. I mean, it, it took us all day and we finally got to the, the permission slip signing part. And I was like, Oh, you know, oh, that sucked. But right. <laughs> now we're in the good time. <laughs> right. So, I mean, we, we get our permission slip signed and, you know, I was like, Hey, you know, we'll be out here, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it turned into, do you want a nuisance permit? And I have like seven other guys that hunt here. And I just looked at her and I mean, I was devastated. I'm like, I just busted my butt. Right. For an overhunted property that we're not going to do any good on. This is going to suck. Right. But, you know, a couple of days in the dozer and listening to podcasts about hunting high pressure whitetails. I was like, all right, let's do this. Yep. So basically this property is, it's long and deep, but it's, it's not very wide. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say it's probably, it's 140 acres. Or 100, I think it's like 120 acres, but north to south, it's only probably 600 yards wide. So it's deep. And, uh, so I just, I went out, you know, her and I went out, we put some cameras up on main travel, you know, travel routes north to south. It's kind of covered, you know, anywhere that they make cruise through and looked around, found a bunch of stands. And instead of focusing all my efforts, you know, to beat these guys and kill them before the deer got on top of them, I went to the furthest point away. Mm-hmm. I mean, listening to Dan Enfall talking about hunting public land. I mean, that's, that's what drove me to make that decision. Mm-hmm. And, that, and I, I want to, I want you to know that because I never would have thought that. Right. But I literally found the furthest point, point away and we went in, we hung a permanent set. Well, you know, a couple weeks later, you know, I didn't, couldn't really afford to sell you, sell cans or anything like that. So we had some, some older, you know, SD card cameras out there and a couple weeks later went out just real quick. I think it was raining. I was like, I want to slip in, pull these cards, slip out. And I mean, I think in one picture we had four shooters. Nice. And I was like, all right, game's on. Like, let's, we need to figure this out. And this is in July. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're, they're, st- they're, they're grown pretty good as far as the racks, but you can't really tell exactly what they're going to be. Well, as the months progressed, I learned to stay out, keep the pressure off. And I learned that, you know, my access point was, you know, it was definitely the wrong way to go. Right. So basically we, we ended up, we had two permanent sets hung and I, I kept getting these pictures and then now it's like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm jazzed. I'm ready to go start dumping money into cellular cans and I mean, set them up and just replacing these cameras from North to South. Well, lo and behold, you know, right before the season had started, you know, he's the deer that I killed, I should say. Mm-hmm. He's been off of the property to the North and I'm like, there's no way we're going to kill him. By the time he makes it across this, you know, 80 acre field in daylight, It'll be too dark by the time he makes it to my permanent stand. You know, there's no way I'm going to kill that deer. 
Right. So I kept telling my wife, like, you know, don't get your hopes up because we have other pressure to deal with, and he's not bedded on the property. He's not bedded, you know, where we can, you know, get in close and kill him in daylight. Well, I didn't really realize at that time that these mature bucks, they don't bed in the same place all year long. Right. I, I never really put that together until I listened to Dan Infall talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, we have a bunch of does on the south side of the property that's the furthest away from everyone else, but it's also the furthest away from where he's bedded now. So I'm going to see if, you know, closer to November, or, you know, the beginning of November, if he transitions like these other guys are talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, next thing you know, on these cellular cameras, I'm watching this deer go from, you know, betting off of the property, hitting my camera, the furthest to the north, you know, just after dark mm-hmm. in the evenings to now I'm not seeing him at the, in the north, but I'm seeing him on the south side of the property. Yep. And that's when it kind of like light bulb moment. I'm literally in my dozer listening to your podcast and listening to him talking about, you know, buck betting and trying to figure out where these deer bed. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, whoa. He has transitioned to his rut bed. Right. That's exactly what's going on. So now I'm dealing with, you know, basically 40 acres of crazy thick bedding. I'm like, I have no idea where to even attack this because right. the permanent set that I hung is what I've been setting up for the last 15 years. You know, it, it's an observation stand, and I never realized that. Right. I mean, I've been hunting observation stands you know, over corn piles for years, wondering why, you know, I'm watching all these big bucks from afar. Right. You know? So I'm like, all right, well, I gotta, I gotta figure something out here. And lo and behold, I listened to Mr. Infault himself talk about a, a mature buck, you know, the, the property, I should say, it drops off pretty hard at the very back mm-hmm. downhill. And I'm, I'm listening to Dan say that mature buck is going to bed on the top third of the hill, you know, when it's not extreme terrain. Right. And I'm like, well, here goes nothing. You know, here, here it is. We've, we've watched this deer on trail camera. We've hunted the property one time on the north side, never hunted the south side at all. Stayed out until what I thought initially was until I would see him on camera. But what it turned out to be was until I stopped seeing him on camera that's when I kind of use that, you know, as, as kind of looking at it as a different way. I use that to realize that this deer is in, he's not, he's not in front of my cameras because he's over here. Right. Right. So, you know, listening to, to Dan and where he, you know, would say you could almost bet money that a deer is going to bet on the top third of this hill. I'm like, all right, like if that's where he's bedded, I know where I can hang a stand where I can slip in. I, you know, from, from the South, way out and around, I walked probably a good, you know, three quarters of a mile out of my way. Um, and, and where he could not smell me, he could not hear me. The only thing that would be even remotely possible is if he could see me. Right. So I'm like, let's go for it. <laughs> I have no idea whether this deer's going to be bedded here, but if these guys that have killed multiple multiple book deer or, or mature deer. And I mean, these guys definitely seem like they know what they're talking about. They're podcasting and I'm not, I'm going to go for it. 
Right. You know, I'm going for it. Let's see if this works. So, um, it just so happened to be, it was a Thursday, you know, being a heavy equipment operator, it's uh, pretty weather dependent. Mm -hmm. And it was just pouring down rain, pouring down rain. So it shut me down for the day for work. Well, a good friend of mine, Scott, he's, I mean, he's been my best friend since, you know, we were little kids. He was off work as well because of the same thing. And I'm like, hey, man, I was like, I'm thinking about going out and painting the set because I think I'm out of the game and I want to be in the game and I want to try this because if this dude is bedded where I think he is based on what I'm, what I'm hearing, I, I want to at least try it, see what happens. So he went out with me, you know, we picked, picked a tree. He picked the tree actually. Um, and we hung this set in the, just a monsoon of a downpour. I'm like, all right, we got out of there. Everything's good. Scent's all washed away, hopefully. Hopefully he didn't see us. We should be good to go. I mean, the wind was blowing. It was it was the perfect way to go in and hang, you know, a set like that. Right. So we get out of there, and, you know, we go to Taco Bell, and we're eating lunch. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, I, I either just completely ruined any chances I have at killing this deer, or he's going to die tomorrow night. Right. And he's like, all right, well, the next day came and I, I was like, if I'm going to hunt with as much rain as we've had, there's no way I'm going to work. I'm going to be in there at like three o'clock and I'm going to go so slow. I don't care if it takes me until five o'clock, you know, he's not going to move until that last 15 minutes anyway. I just, I got to be able to get in there slow and quiet. Lo and behold, I had to work <laughs> and I was crushed. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I was almost burying my dozer. I mean, it, it was the most brutal conditions I've ever worked in. And the whole time, you know, steam blown out of my ears because I'm not doing what my plan was. Right. Well, the next, you know, that, that night was a Friday and I got my kids. So, you know, I'm boo-hooing and crying to the wife and she's like, yeah, just go out tomorrow and, you know, all this and that. And I'm like, no, I'm to stay home well she finally just was like go you either go or i'm going <laughs> all right all right i'm going so i went out there man and clint it was picture perfect i, I slipped in the stand it was still pretty wet quiet i got up in there and you know 15 minutes later a small like spike or four corn bumped a doe up that hill and as I'm watching them going up the hill, I seen the deer that I killed stand up at 80 yards. Hmm. It was to a, to a T, exactly how Dan Infall explained it. Right. And I'm telling you, I, I mean, at that point, it didn't matter to me whether I killed that deer or not. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't think I would because this, this fork horn just bumped a doe right through there. This is November 2nd. Well, I mean, he's just, you know, to explain the hunt a little more, he was just, he was, he was pissed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was the most aggressive deer I have ever seen. I mean, he, he wouldn't walk by anything without thrashing it. Yeah, nice. I mean, he was, he was, he was like, this is my turf. Get out of here. And, 
you know, he, he ended up, you know, staying up, he thrashed the trees and, you know, grunted a few times and ended up going up towards where the, the four corn pushed that dough. I was like, well, that was it. But it worked. You know, I've never gone after, you know, where I thought, you know, and I, I was confident where a, a big buck could, could bed and then actually went in and verified it. It worked. It was perfect. Well, you know, at this point, I'm thinking, you know, I either have, as aggressive as he is, I have to let him know that I'm down here, or, you know, or at least another buck is down here. Right. And maybe that'll be my chance. And as he's walking up that hill, I grunted. He stopped, looked back at me, or, you know, my direction, like, all right, I'll take care of you in a minute. <laughs> and, I mean, he was out of sight. Probably five minutes later, you know, I text my wife, and I just seen him. You know, she texts me a picture of a, you know, trail camera picture up on the top of the hill. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, I'm not looking at it because I'm trying to be engaged in my hunt. But I'm like, yeah, like, I just seen him. He, he, was, he was just 80 yards from me. And, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't but 10 minutes later. Here he comes. <laughs> Down the hill thrashing everything he walked by super aggressive i mean bristled up just like all right who's down here like who am i going to take care of next kind of thing and he came down the hill i knew he was going to go left or right he went left walked right in front of me i plucked him at 17 yards nice and, you know is my biggest my biggest buck to date nice. but you know just the biggest biggest takeaways with that is just listen to these people that have years and years of experience above and beyond any anything that someone like me has and trusting that they're they're telling the truth you know it, it is definitely situational like we mm-hmm. talked about earlier yeah but there's truth behind it yeah and i mean i just i, I can't encourage people enough to listen to you know, the Ben Infall, John Eberhardt, you know, all the all the great guests that you've had on your show, these guys are legit. Oh, and yeah. it's not just because of this one one situation where I proved it. Because it, I, I can relate it to all of the, the hunts that went bad. Right. Yeah. You know? That's probably it's, more it's that's just, probably more proof positive. It's like when you think back to like where oh, the yeah. mistakes were made and like and you and you think about things that you've learned since it's like, it, it's really, it becomes really clear, like where you made, where you made the mistakes, at least it has for, has for me when I think back on previous hunts, when I've screwed up, you know, it's like, I can, you know, usually point pretty quickly to like, okay, this, this is what's happened, you know? And it's, and it doesn't always have to end with an arrow being released. And I think that's the part that people kind of get, no. get hung up on. It's like, you know, I, I've said this you several different times with, you know, some of the hunts I had last year where I had a couple deer that I was kind of targeting on a couple pieces of public that were near me. And I actually had encounters with both of them and that, and both of them were probably, you know, three and a half year old Pope and young deer, you know, and for this area in Pennsylvania, like that's, that's a really good deer. Like you probably wouldn't pass that up, you know? And sometimes in this area, that's, a, that's a good season for the fact that I had a close encounter with both like that, but I had them both in bow range. One, um, just it busted me. And the other one, I got dark deered over a set of primary scrapes, you know what I mean? And it just, it was one of those things where I needed about three more minutes of daylight, (laughs) you know what I mean? And and I had them at whatever it was, 15 yards or whatever, 
you know, and that's the thing. It's like, it doesn't always have to end in an era of release. It's like, these are no, successes to build on. Yeah. It's like, I still, I still yeah, figured them out. You know what I mean? You just, absolutely want. Yeah. So, and I think the other important thing is too, is, you know, like you, we've talked about a couple different guys that, that we, that, that you've learned from, and I've learned from those guys too. And, and I think it's really important. Like we've talked about that. You just kind of pluck pieces that work for you. You know what I mean? Cause there's definitely sure. pieces that I kind of take from, from, you know, different, you know, I've had the, you know, um, I guess privilege of having some of these like guys come on and some of them I've been able to, you know, create personal relationships with and stuff like that to where I can kind of tap them for, for info and stuff like that. And just talk to them as a deer hunter, right. like not on a podcast necessarily, you know? And, yeah. you know, and it's just the, the information they have is, is, is invaluable. And then like when you go out oh. and you apply it, you know, it's like you kind of start to figure out which pieces for you make a lot of sense. You know what I mean? It's like, well, look, look, I mean, if, if I would have been in the right frame of mind to, to actually hear it 10 years ago, mm-hmm. I mean, Clint, I, I I'm not, I'm not going to guarantee you anything, but I'm pretty confident in saying I would have quite a few, quite a big difference on my, on my wall. Right. Yeah. I mean, seriously, man. Yep. And, and that's why I'm so thankful. And that's, that's why I wanted to put myself out here and it just explain my, my story. I mean, I literally have said that story of, of my actual hunt over in my head like 30 times to try to convince it because I, I want, again, now I'm wired. Like, I want to break down and tell you every aspect of everything, but we don't have enough time for that. Uh, right. <laughs> we can I mean, sit, we can sit here all day and talk and talk deer hunting and, and still never cover all like of it. The shortest version I can possibly give, you know, right. about that. But seriously, I I took a chance based on the the professionals that you have have you know have brought on on your 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 show. Right, well, and I applied that in my situation in my way. And it worked. Yeah. Yeah. It, it absolutely worked. And I'm, I'm beyond grateful because, it, I mean, again, I, I never would have been in the right frame of mind until my reset. But after my reset, I this is how I'm going to hunt for the rest of my life. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely going to adapt and I'm going to change, Yeah, you know, and hopefully for the better. I'm yeah. not saying it's the end all be all, but it, but it's, it has completely changed my mindset, my, my outlook. And, and just how I'm going to approach each fall. And I mean, Hey man, fruits in the pudding. Yeah. You I, know, I, it, I, it's my first year really applying that. So, Hey, you know, if I, if I knock down a, a slammer this year, you know, maybe we'll have to talk about it again. But, but heck yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm down yeah. for that. I, I think the other cool thing that it does too, man, is like, once you see, you know, it, it work or pay off and like, even if you didn't arrow that deer and you saw him get up out of his bed at 80 yards away. Right. It's like, that is confirmation that like you played the game correctly. Right. Cause I mean, dude, getting within 80 right. yards of a bed of a bed of deer, like that's, that's about as far as that's and in a lot of cases, that's about as close as you want to push it. You know, some guys will push it a little closer. I know I've heard like, you know, Dan might get into like 70, maybe 60, depending on the right conditions, but that's about as far as he might want to push it. And the only reason I can recall that is because we just did a whole series with him where we talked about that. And that was a specific question. It was just how aggressive do you get, you know, on beds or whatever. And, you know, for me, I'm probably not quite that slick. Like I've got this one spot right now where I have a pretty good deer that I know where he's probably going to be bedded, you know, especially the early part of the year, because my season comes in mid September. So it's like, I still have him on that 
bed to food most likely before he probably transitions. I might have a week, maybe two weeks uh, to get that done. And yeah. I, I was actually just looking at, <laughs> I was actually just looking at maps like before you and I jumped on here to do this. Cause I was trying to figure out exactly what my access was going to be. And I started going and looking at like, well, what's the weather data when I glassed him? What was the, what was the wind doing when I glassed him? What was the wind doing when I, when I bumped him out of his bed the other day? Like, you know, cause that's the confidence that like when you start to see this stuff pay off that it gives you is just like, I knew where that deer was at after I glassed him. I knew where he was and I just needed to go in and, and, and validate it and find it. And, and that was one of the evolutions for me was that I've just become way more aggressive because of the land that I hunt. It's like, I can't wait for something. I can't, I can't play it safe. It's like, if I think I know where a deer is at, I got to go in and try to kill it because the pressure around it and stuff like that's going to move him to where he's not going to be doing the things that what I think he might be doing three weeks from now or four weeks from now as pressure builds. And so that was my adaptation. It's like, I played it too safe for a long time, you know? Um, and so now it's just about being more and more, you know, more and more aggressive, which you just kind of learn these things as you go, man. And like, I'm just super pumped and, you know, to be able to even just be a small part of, of that story, man, it's like the credit all to you for putting in the work and, and stuff like that. It, it, it makes me, uh, it humbles me to think that, you know, that you might think that I helped play a small part in that. And, and that's really what this whole thing that I'm doing here is really to do. It's like, if I help one person do what you did, then I've, I've done what I intended to do. So thank you. Well, no, really, I'm, I'm the one with the gratitude here because again, man, I'm not, I'm not trying to do your horn or anything like that. It's, it's, I'm being serious. I I literally used this, this property that I I knew there was great deer. I knew there was great deer on the property. I mean, both in, in prior history as well as, you know, inventory. Yeah. You know, inventory and, and trail camera photos. I knew there was good, good deer, but I was so, you know, so engrossed in trying to figure out where a buck beds and, and trying to get in close enough to kill him and, and kill that way opposed to over bait or, you know, any mm-hmm. other way like that, that I, I literally used this as an experiment. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I mean, it's still my plan, but every aspect of my plan was derived from the guests mm-hmm. that you've had on your show. So not only thank, thank you, Clint, but I want to I want to say seriously from the bottom of my heart, I mean, I am so thankful from the guests that you've had on your show to invest their time yeah. and, and share their knowledge. It's it's huge yeah. to the average people like me. Yeah. It's huge. No, for sure, and man. I, I really hope that someone hears my story and is like, whoa, you know, hey, I need to go back and listen to some podcasts because, I mean, there's some really good information. And I'm just, you know, like I said, I'm thankful. I used it as an experiment. It worked. And guess what I'm going to do this year? I'm going to use it. And <laughs> I have had my absolute tail kick. Yeah. I mean, where I'm at, I could drive a half an hour and you could close your eyes and open them and think you were in the Adirondacks. Right. I mean, I can drive a half an hour the other way and you're in flat farm country. Yep. But you know, I have had my absolute bug kicked for the last couple of years hunting hill country. And that's what I'm super pumped about this year. I have a deer on trail camera right now. I mean, he's, he's very camera shy. So any, any picture I get of him, he's in the, in the far background. Um, 
I know he's still there. I, he has no reason to leave. But, I mean, I have literally gotten my butt kicked on thermals, not understanding that hunting flat country all my life mm -hmm. or, you know, the last 15 years. Never understood thermals. And I've been getting my butt handed to me the last couple of years with this deer. And, you know, this is going to be definite, you know, he's at least six years old. Um, you know, who cares about his, his score, but he's, he's nothing to, you know, he's nothing to sneeze at. at. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Man. He's, he's, he's a, he's a pretty impressive specimen. Yeah. Um, I'll but I'm going to apply that. that. I'm going to apply these same things. Um, yeah. That's what to, it's all about. To hunting hill country. That's what it's all about, happens. man. It's just building on top of success, man. You know, you just keep kind of layering those things on it. I just want to reiterate what you said just a, a couple minutes ago with, you know, thankful for the time that some of these guys give. And I know Dan does a ton of podcasts, man. Like, and everyone always wants a piece of his time and stuff yeah. like that. And, and these guys are just so generous with their, with their time, you know, and, and, and willing to come on and, and share. And, and there's, there was a time, a day and age where, you know, guys might be a little, yeah, resistant to sharing information or want to keep it to oh, themselves yeah. and stuff like that. And, you know, these guys that are just a wealth of knowledge that are willing to just kind of give up their secrets or whatever, you know, it's, um, you know, I, I forget, I forget who it is that, uh, I think it's, Oh, Gary Vaynerchuk, not to get off on like a tangent of like something completely different, but Gary Vaynerchuk is one of those guys who like, you know, I don't know if you know who he is, but he's kind of like a media mogul. Oh, yeah. He's like one of the yeah. probably one of the brightest like digital media guys that are, that are out there. He's built, you know, an empire for himself. Incredibly smart guy, super driven. Um, loves his baseball cards. Loves his baseball cards. Yeah, he does. Um, <laughs> shoes, whatever else he can flip. He loves. Um, but you know, his whole motto is, is he just gives away his secrets for free and doesn't care about right. it, creating competition. Cause what he recognizes is, is that there is only about 1% of people that will ever be willing to do the work to actually capitalize on the information he's giving them. You know what I mean? And in a lot of it's the same right. way in the whitetail woods, you know what I mean? It's like, it, it's, it's not easy. It's hard. You know what I mean? It, like it, it, it well, truthfully like, you know, is challenging. Are you, are you listening to these podcasts for background noise while you're doing something else? Right. Or are you really, you know, sitting here, you know, trying to break down everything that they're saying, maybe rewinding and then re-listening to, in order to, you know, help better your situation. I mean, that's, that's the approach I took yep. was trying to better myself by it. Yeah. And, you know, again, time tells all stories. Yep. Um, you know, I could go the next seven years and not have any luck at all. Yeah. But, well, I, I, I highly doubt that, man. You're you're motivated. You 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 break you're breaking things down the right way. You're you're pulling in all the information, and and you're just you're hungry to learn and learn the next thing, man, and apply it. And that's really what it that's really what it takes, man. It's just it, it's like anything in life, man. If you don't love the process of what you're doing, expect limited limited success. If you're in love with the process, sky's the limit. You know, and that's kind of, you, you know, with, with anything, but, you know, at this point, man, we've been jamming for a little over an hour, man. You know, I want to, I want to be sensitive to your time, but I know before I let you go, I know there was a, uh, there was something else you wanted to add before we got off here. So I want to, I want to, I want to turn it over to you to, uh, to do that. <laughs> it's, it's a challenge. Uh, everybody out there, and you know, if you're listening to this, I, I want to challenge you. I want you to try to hit the reset button just one time, one time this coming fall go to the woods do not look at your phone do not i mean take your phone maybe for safety reasons or whatever right Clint? Mm -hmm. yep but don't don't look at it leave it in your pocket 
don't, you know, that's my challenge to everybody out there. Take that one time. I don't care if it's the first time of the year or the last. Try to do that just one time, you know, for me, I guess, whatever. But go go to the woods. Enjoy what God has given you just one time. Yeah. Do not do not mess with the social media. Don't mess with your phone. Just hunt. Be, be yourself with nature and enjoy yourself. Hit that reset button and try to look at, you know, look at life, look at, at your hunt, look at your situation that you're, you know, the property that you're hunting or where the deer may be in a different way and just try to hit that reset button. That's, that's it, man. That's awesome, man. I think that's a great place to end. I will accept your challenge, my friend. And, uh, and I look <laughs> forward to hitting my reset brother. I appreciate you coming on, man. I know you and I are going to stay in touch. Um, good luck to you this season. And uh, let's do it again whenever you have this, uh, when you catch up to this next one in the Hill Country. Yeah. Hey, and real, real quick, it's crazy times out there right now. I think if everybody could just remember, love God, love your neighbor, the world will be a much better place. Thanks, Clint. You bet, man. Thank you. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast in hell. While you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, and Maven Optics. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more.